Hi, Gary Wilson here and with the Gary Wilson podcast. We're joined today by a great friend, somebody I've known since I was a little guy, uh, Dallas Holm. Uh, many of you are familiar with Dallas Holm and Praise. You've heard um, some amazing songs from him. Uh, still uh, still writing and singing. Uh, I heard on your podcast, Dallas, a song that you had, uh, it was an older song that you'd sung. Your, you were with your daughter on your podcast and she was asking about your favorite song. And to, to probably a lot of our surprise, it wasn't Rise Again. But it was, he, he knew it was called his, he knew me then. Is that right? And, yeah, that's the title. Yeah. So welcome Dallas. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Oh, thank you. My privilege. I've looked forward to it. Yeah. So we have known each other. You moved from California. Uh, is that right? California to New York to work. Well, no, actually I moved. I was in Fort Worth, Texas, serving as a youth oh, pastor after I okay. got out of uh, Bible college in 69. Okay. Your father, David Wilkerson called me in October of 69. I was in Fort Worth. And he was coming to Dallas to do a, I think just a one night service at a church in Oak Cliff. He had been looking for someone to travel in his youth crusades that could minister musically, maybe a little more contemporary. And he had been up in, uh, I think it was Eugene, Oregon, had a crusade up there, was after the meeting, just talking with the pastor and his associate. Did they know of anybody? And the associate, a guy named uh, uh, Heiser, Raleigh Heiser was his name. He had gone to college with me. He was probably three years ahead, and he had one of the first albums I ever made, first Christian album. He played it for your dad. Your dad said, well, let me, let me get in touch with him and talk with him. So I get this call from David Wilkerson. I knew who he was. He had actually come to my church when I was probably 13 or so with the uh, story of the cross and the switchblade and all that. But, uh, you know, he said he was in crusade ministries in New York. He was looking for someone to travel and sing. And I was loving what I was doing. I, I love being a youth pastor. And I just kind of was thinking, I, th there's no way this is going to happen. But he said he was coming to Dallas. Would I come sing a couple songs and talk with him afterwards? So I did. And you know, as the Lord works things out, the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it. It was just uh, certainly God's will. So in uh, December of 69, I drove up to Minnesota, married my fiance, Linda. She had been my girlfriend for five years. Uh, this is so typical of your dad. You'll appreciate this. So this is the end of December. We just get married. I'd already talked to the dad about when do I need to be in New York? And he was like, oh, we got to have you right here right now. I mean, we're going to hit the road running. So, okay. So, so we loaded up our little U-Haul trailer and our few wedding gifts, a waffle and a chair and whatever else, and headed to New York, got lost in Manhattan for five hours. I mean, it's just, a, it was just a fiasco, which I really believe the Lord ordered that to test, you know, I remember we pulled, the address we were looking for was 688 Broadway. Well, I started seeing signs for Broadway. So I followed that. Well, it was Broadway there. We drove through Harlem. Uh, there was a garbage strike going on. 688 Broadway in Manhattan was actually kind of where the Bowery was. I mean, it was boarded up. There were guys sleeping on the streets. I could find 670-something. I could find 690. We just couldn't find 688. So we just prayed. We said, Lord, you know, we're here, but help us find the, the place. And a cab driver pulled up next to us, which this is why I know it was a miracle, because <laughs> you can't get them to stop if you lay down in front of them. <laughs> His cab, he pulls up, and he rolls the window, and he said, can I help you? Are you lost? And I said, well, I'm looking for 688 Broadway. He said, Manhattan or Long Island? And I went, oh, yeah, Long Island. So he directed us. We got out there, oh. got settled in. We had a little apartment above the office in of course, the next day I'm up, you know, okay, uh, I call, you know, where's Brother Dave? 
Oh, he's down in Florida taking a little vacation. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. But he, he had to have me there right on the first because we're going to hit yeah. the ground. But that was so your dad, you know, he, the intensity. Totally. In his mind, it, we were hitting the ground running. But, yeah. you know, yeah, but he had a couple other things to do first. No, no. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was, how old were you then, Gary, in, in 19? I would be 11 and 69. I'd have been That's what I was thinking, 11 or 12. And you were like, you were just like, you were, early, you were young still. You were like 20 or? I was 21. Yeah, just 21. Yeah, that's, uh, but that does sound like my dad. You know, I, I don't know if he did this with you, but uh, growing up, I don't can't count on, I could count on both hands how many times when he was wanting to bring somebody on the, on the staff or the team he would almost make them make an immediate decision, you know, like, or like if they wanted to pray about it, it was like, okay, let me know in an hour. Uh, right. If the job or not. Yeah. So that sense of immediacy was always with him. Yeah. That, that was probably one of his uh, gifts as well as one of his uh, yeah. difficulties to, to deal with. Well, I always remember too, when we went out to eat after the, the meeting he had in Dallas, that's where we initially met. I sang a couple songs and we went out afterwards to grab a bite to eat. And I took him to the motel they were staying at. And I remember when we were sitting there, and I think David Patterson was there with us too. And Brother Dave got real serious. He said, Dallas, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm only going to ask you this, this one question one time. And boy, I'm thinking, oh man, what, you know, have I killed anybody? Have I cheated <laughs> on my wife or whatever? At that time, I wasn't married, so I couldn't do that. Right. And he just said, uh, do you have a devotional life? Hmm. And it, it caught me off guard because I was so prepared for something else. And I thought, oh, well, that's easy. And I said, well, yeah, you mean I... I spend time with the Lord every day. I, you know, maybe I miss a day now and then, but I, I study the word and I pray and keep my walk. He said, good. That's and, and I remember your dad saying this other times. He said, um, there's two things I, I can't put up with and I won't forgive. Not that he wouldn't forgive in a spiritual sense, but uh, disloyalty. He was so big on loyalty. He said, look, well, look, we can disagree. You can make mistakes. Even guys that have had moral failure said, as long as they're loyal we can work through that with by god's grace but he said if if you're disloyal or if you are not growing in your walk with the lord then i can't use you and you know that says a lot about him uh, it did to me right away that you know, hindsight is so clear i've often looked back and thought as a 21 year old fairly new christian all the ministries that were out there there are all kinds of ministries evangelists big name people uh I could have possibly gotten hooked up with any one of those, but, uh, you know, in, in God's timing, he put me with someone that uh, your dad was always about winning souls. Yeah. Bottom line, was he perfect? No, never heard him claim to be, but he was always about, he was serious about the things of the Lord. He was serious about ministry. And I look back now and I go, man, I was so blessed to have been linked up with someone who took it seriously. And, yeah. you know, how much I learned from that is inestimable. <laughs> wow, I love that, and that's you know that that kind of leads me to where I was wanting to have some some discussion with you. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit here in a little bit, but just before we do, um, you know, one of the things Dallas I've noticed about you is is you've taken that thing that you talked about in your early times with my dad about asking those questions about devotion where you're spiritually growing uh, over the decades. You know, like. Because you know, early on, I, I, we were together a lot. We both lived in Texas. Um, and then sort of Kelly and I, my wife Kelly, and we, we, we started moving around to some churches, planting and stuff. So, so we weren't like present to each other daily, but we'd be in touch, you know, every few years. Or right. I noticed with you, like every decade, you're like, uh, you're a different person in a good way. You know, you're, 
you're, you're constantly growing, you're constantly challenging yourself, you're constantly uh, digging deeper. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.10 comes to mind, you know, that spirit makes aware the, the, the things of God, even, yeah, even the deep things of God. Um, I know you wouldn't say this about yourself because you're humble, but you would at least say about yourself, you have pursued the deep things of God. You, you've not been satisfied to sit back and say like, uh, you know, I sang some good songs and I did some good concerts and, you know, I'm going to go to heaven one day. So yeah. you really, there's been like a spiritual hunger in your life really ever since you were saved. Right. Or would, am I, am It really I, has, you know, again, hindsight, you know, is wonderfully clear. I mean, I, I look back at two parents that were wonderful Christians. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't make a lot of noise about his Christianity, but he just lived it. He was incredibly consistent man mm-hmm. of great integrity and honesty. My mom was kind of the mouthpiece, but I mean, I had great examples there. Then my pastor, the one who led me to the Lord, uh, I remember when I first became a Christian, churches, various groups, you know, because I've been playing rock bands, wasn't a big deal, but had a certain little reputation. People knew the band and, oh, Dallas got saved. So churches would call, would you come share your testimony? Would you come sing some songs? Wow, man, I was just thrilled to get to do that. Very small venues, churches attend 20 people, sometimes rest homes, jail, street corners, but I was getting to share, you know, and I was doing that almost every weekend. I remember one Sunday morning, uh, my pastor came up to me and he was such a kind man. He wasn't preachy. He wasn't condescending. He said, Dallas, could I talk to you for just a moment? I said, absolutely. He said, you're going to have all of your life to minister. You're only going to have one chance to prepare. And that's now. Hmm. He said, let me disciple you. Let me teach you. Let me build a foundation of God's word under your life and ministry. He said, go out once a month or maybe once every six weeks to develop your ministry. But right now, stay home and build that foundation on God's word. Man, I look back now and I go, that may be the single most important piece of advice I ever got. Because you know, as I do, in all kinds of ministry, whether it's music, whether it's preaching, whether it's evangelism, there are so many people, and it's easy to do, to depend on your communicative skills, your talents, your intellect, your contacts. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can make someone very successful. But ultimately, all that matters is your depth in the Lord and your knowledge of the Word. That's the only thing that sustains you. And so, uh, you know, those influences, and again, again from your dad, you know, we, we used to we used to kind of elbow him a little bit. Brother Dave, you got to get some hobbies because he was so intense. You know, you, man, you got to get some hobbies. You know, I like to fish. And Brian, who used to drive the bus for us, you know, he and I were fishermen and we talked about, come on, brother Dave, you need to go fishing with us. But honestly, could you see your dad on the boat throwing a rod? No, not at all. You, know, you want to go hunting? No, I don't want to see Dave Wilkerson with a gun in his hand. You know? <laughs> I mean, in the sense, his hobby was when we all went to bed after crusade, he's still up in his motel room studying scripture, uh, praying and seeking God. Uh, and that spoke volumes. You know, I can remember different times he'd come out on the bus in the morning and uh, I can remember some quotes. I remember the one day he came out on the bus and he talked about spending time with the Lord. And he said, I just really felt the Lord spoke to my heart last night. And he said, I'm, I'm more interested in winning all of you than I am in you winning all the world. Man, what a, I mean, here's one of the great soul winners, literally of the 20th century. But he realized that the most important thing was God has to get all of me. That's more important than me getting all of everybody else. So those kinds of things came out of his uh, hobby, I guess we could say. So there again, there was a pattern. I saw that if you if you want to be in it for the long haul, you, you've got to grow. It, it should be the natural progression of every Christian. I mean, Linda and I, sometimes we look back and we go, 
man, I don't even know if I was saved back there. I mean, we were, but right. you realize looking back, some of the shallowness, some of the self-centeredness, some of the, uh, I don't know, just, just, I, I sometimes look back and I go, I don't even like that person, you know, that I see back there, but by God's grace in his tender, loving care and mercy, he keeps on bringing us along and ours is but to obey and to grow. Yeah. Yeah. What is it, you know, you, you, you attribute that to my father. You say you saw him, the spiritual man, this man of God. I see that in you. I read your newsletter. Um, you know, even when you're, you know, even when you're young in the ministry, you know, I would travel with you guys on the bus and you'd sing, you know, set of songs with, with praise, dial song praise. Uh, but you'd always have like, and that was the part I, you know, because you know, after hearing a song forty or fifty times, you're just like, okay, I've, right. I've heard that. Uh, but you always have something fresh in between the songs, you, and you would take, you know, three, four, five, six minutes, and it was. I remember even as you know, 13, 14, 15 year old saying, well, "That's cool. He has something to say," and it was fresh. And it wasn't like, you know, like three months ago, you were saying the same thing between sets. You had something the Lord had been telling you, and since that time, you have obviously, it's like you said, you know, you're aware of that. You saw that in my father. I'm saying to you, I see that in you. And I'm asking you, is there something like, is it just responding to God's call or is it more self-initiated? What is it that makes a difference between uh, someone like my father or you who have really pursued God, so, uh, significantly hungry for him, and as a result, have something to say? Um, is there some things that you practice or is it more just, uh, you know what I'm getting at? Is it, is it more just God called me and I'm responding? Um, that's all I can do? Or do I initiate certain things to become more deep in God? I think of a couple things. And, and again, without, you know, just wearing your dad out on this, but, you know, he was, it was, he was very instrumental. His ministry, who he was as a person, uh, you know, in, in some ways, as we know, the, the way he did things and in some ways the way he uh, made a mistake, you know, uh, spoke as a prophet and then came back later and said, you know what, that's just my personal opinion. Well, you lose, you learn from those things. Mm -hmm. I remember when I, in 1980, when I, when I left uh, Dave Olgerson Youth Crusades, I think by then it was in World Challenge. Um, I knew it was the Lord's time. Brother Dave and I initially that hit him kind of hard because we'd been together a long time. We had a very good relationship, but in a couple, three days, it was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. I, I, bless you and that and whatever else. But all of a sudden I realized, okay, I don't think I'd ever done this consciously, but suddenly I realized I had, it was very comfortable to know that brother Dave's going to have the word of the Lord. He's going to stand out there. He's going to speak. He's going to uh, lead this ministry. I support him. Uh, I support him spiritually. I support him with my music. All of a sudden I'm going to be the guy, you know, it, I can't depend on him. I can't depend on anybody else. I've got to have a word from the Lord. I've got to know more than I do. I've got to be more discerning than I was. So that, that was kind of a desperate sort of thing. It's like, man, you're going to be on your own now. No, nobody else, no team, no organization. You've got to lead this thing. That naturally made me more hungry. It made me dig in more, maybe read more, study harder. I'd always done that, but not, not with a desperation or, or a seriousness that suddenly was upon me. So I think that was very crucial. The other thing was, I always understood, even as a new Christian, and I'm so thankful, and I don't know who to attribute this to other than just the Holy Spirit, I, I never saw my music as the end. The music was just a tool. That was a tool that God had given me. I'm very thankful for it. I'm very grateful for it. 
But music doesn't define my life. It never has. I've, I've talked to so many young musicians. I've heard some say, oh, if I couldn't do my music, I'd never be happy. And I've told them, you'll never be happy then. Because if your happiness is dependent on what you do for him, that's always going to fall short. Your happiness has dependent on who you are in him. Then assess and recognize what are the tools he's given me? How does he want to use me? Whether it's preaching or teaching or being an author or singing or, you know, the list is endless. I mean, every person God has given talents, abilities, opportunities. So I just realized early on that this music thing is a wonderful vehicle. It's a wonderful tool, but it's not the end game. So as I've gotten older, I mean, I've, I've just, I traveled for 50 years. I've just finished up and I'm in my 51st year of full-time ministry. Uh, yeah, there was that season when I suppose we did the, the biggest Christian concerts in the country, night after night, thousands of people, nobody stays there, you know, uh, then it started to kind of wind down the record sold less. I didn't play it on the radio as much anymore. And so if you don't have a firm spiritual and biblical foundation, that's going to really beat you up. You're going to feel like I'm failing. Uh, what's wrong. Uh, I remember thinking at one point, wow, am I just one more old guy on the downhill side of life? You know, things aren't like they used to be. It was interesting. I was reading through again, the reading and the study. I was that year going again through Spurgeon's morning and evening devotional. And right when I'm kind of having these, you know, a little bit pouty feelings, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy, but it was like, man, once I sang before thousands and I sing before hundreds, once I got played on the radio every hour now, maybe every week, you know, and I never looked at those things, but they were, I was aware of those things. Now, all of a sudden I'm aware that this just didn't happen like that anymore. So I'm reading through Spurge, or, uh, yeah, Spurgeon's devotional and he writes this particular day, he said, uh, when the children of Israel marched through the desert, the Levites marched out front. He said, many of us in our youthful exuberance once marched at the front and won many souls to Christ. But in our latter years, he calls us to a more important place. And he moves us to the rear, and it requires more integrity and more commitment. And we become as the tribe of Dan. And he said, the job of the Danites was to pick up the weary, the wounded, and the disenfranchised. Man, when I read that, it's just like a light bulb went on. It's just like God you know, I've had you up front here, we're doing that, but that's just training. And I think that's where we wrongly yeah. uh, interpret some of these things, because in our American culture, if there's numerical success, that, that equals spiritual success. If the numbers are big, if the sales are big, you know, how many times we heard, well, he must be doing something right, look at how big his church is, or whatever. Right. In God's economy, those are not qualifiers at all. In fact, they may be detriments. Mm -hmm. um, I always remember after I uh, processed that, like the very next week, I was up in the mountains of Arizona, a little church, about 50 people. And I'm going to sing, minister the same, no matter where I'm at. If it's Madison Square Garden or some little country church, it's just what I'm called to do. But honestly, I kind of looking out at 50 people who look like they'd probably rather be home watching TV, but there probably wasn't anything good on TV that night. So I sang, I ministered the gospel. At the end, this lady, I would say, was probably in her 50s, brought up an older gentleman I don't think it was her dad, but she said, we all call him daddy. He's been in this church forever. He was in his 80s, suit and tie on. She said, every Sunday, every Sunday, every meeting, we say, daddy, do you want to go down and give your life to Jesus? Nope. <laughs> every evangelist, dad, do you want to give your life? Nope. She said, tonight he turned to me and said, do you think if I went down there, he'd pray with me to receive oh, Christ? Wow. It felt like the Lord was saying, see, all that other stuff was just training. Now you're qualified to get this guy. Now you're qualified to reach these people. I don't know if qualified is the word, but when we see it from God's perspective, 
it has nothing to do with all this external peripheral stuff we, we mark as success. And so I, I, I always say, the only thing I have any control over is my relationship with the Lord. If I am aware I should be with him, then wherever I am is where he has me. Oswald Chambers says, don't complain. You're of no use where you are because you're certainly of no use where you're not. <laughs> and I love that, but it's so true. You know, yeah. if, if I am the Lord's, that's all I got to worry about. And that shouldn't even be a worry, but that's my concern that I am the Lord's today. So wherever he has me, that's not my business. And I'm very fulfilled in ministry now. I, I enjoy, I've become more of a writer, more of a reader. Uh, I enjoy preparing a teaching and a sermon more than I do writing a song these days. I mean, just, and I think that's the natural growth yeah. if you love God's word, because as long as you stay in his word, it's always going to lead. The more I learn, the less I know it feels like. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm the same way. It's just, uh, yeah. it's really encouraging Dallas to hear you say all that. Cause it's, um, it's so easy. You know, I've, I've got behind me a few decades of ministry as well, but um, yep. I'm in my mid forties, as far as the amount of years in pastoral ministry and teaching. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, I think if you don't go to where you're, the place you're talking about, if you don't go to that sense of my identity is not wrapped up in this particular type of ministry or career, but right. it's wrapped up in him that, uh, you know, that I know him. Right. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 9, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom or a strong man in his strength, but let him that boasts boast that he knows me. Or yeah. another translation that says, let him that glorieth glory in this. And it's it's not often the scripture asks us to glory in something of ourselves, but he's encouraging us. If you want to glory in something that you have obtained, uh, certainly a gift from the Holy Spirit, but it's something you've grasped hold of, you can glory in that, that, that you yep. know. And, and uh, I think you're absolutely right that it's so easy to glory in numbers and sales and notoriety and and that's that's just not god's economy i agree with you and i think that's why that's probably you know you probably answered my earlier question later <laughs> by saying that that's how you got deep you 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 refuse to wallow in like oh i you know what you know why didn't god keep the record sales high and right. uh, you didn't wallow in that you you said God's got something as rich for me now as he did and right. in, in, in what might be considered a heyday of a music career, but that's not your heyday. And no. I liken it to, uh, I see behind you a, a Green Bay Packers uh, <laughs> helmet. So here's my football analogy for the day. Um, so, uh, you know, I was getting like, you know, as we get older and, you know, we wonder, okay, okay you know, is, do, do I have the uh, uh, stamina and the mental capacity to continue strong in ministry in the last quarter. And it is Lord just brought me to uh, sports analogies. Like, you know, you, the game doesn't really get interesting until the fourth quarter. Right. You know, a lot of people like second quarter, third quarter, people will go get the popcorn and their snacks and kind of, you know, lull, just lull around a little bit, but fourth quarter of a big game. Now, now you sit down and you, okay, this is every play now is important. Every decision the coach makes is win or lose. And then the two minute warning which neither of us are there yet. I think maybe chronologically our two minute warning when we hit like our, maybe our eighties or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but the two minute warning is, is the teams give it all. They leave, you know, as, as athletes say, leave it all on the field. And uh, you know, it's, and it's not just chronological age. It's, you know, as we mature, right. the game gets, I think the game gets more interesting, more vital. And the, and the plays that we call make that much more importance, even right. than when we were, 
we were young. And I, not, I hope this doesn't sound offensive to the music industry, but there's hundreds and hundreds of highly skilled um, singer songwriters, you know, and, and they kind of come and go, you know, um, but how many of them, you know, and, and I'm not discrediting it because I'm sure there's a lot of them, but how many of them are actually get a hold of the you know, horns of the altar? How many of them come into the Holy of Holies? How many of them, you know, and, and again, if God's looking at that, it's like, I, I doubt he's going to be in heaven saying like, oh, there's my favorite singer. Can you guys come up to the front row here? And, and I like that song. So, you know, I think he's going to go, you know, you, you were the one who sought my face. You were the one who, who did that. And so, well, the, the exciting thing is, I mean, it should be for those of us who are getting a little older. I'm 72 now, which doesn't seem possible. My dad was old when he was 72. But it just makes logical sense. If we know him better, if we've walked with him further, if we love him more, if we know more of his word, how can we possibly have less to offer instead of more? I mean, this should be the richest time of our life in ministry. But if we define the success or the power of our ministry by these peripheral non-essentials of crowds or sales, or where am I in the pecking order of thing? Am I, if I got the biggest church, if I got a middle-sized church, I mean, none of those things matter to God. It's all this. It's funny because we always talk about a personal relationship with the Lord. Like that's, that's it. And, and it is. Well, if that's really true, then why are we worried about all this other stuff? It, it's between the Lord and myself, and however and wherever he wants to use me is all that matters. But now I've walked with him faithfully, as faithfully as I know how, by his grace, in spite of many errors and many feelings. Um, you know, I, I'm like you, the, the sports thing. I, I often say, if life is a mile run, I'm in the last lap. I mean, this is the last lap. The start is always finished. I used to run track in high school. I ran sprints. I didn't run distance. But the start's real important. But the only thing that ultimately matters is how you finish. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and Paul understood that too. I mean, that we can say, man, I, I, I finished and I fought the fight and I kept the faith. That's it. And so th these should be the most fulfilling, important, significant uh, seasons of our lives in ministry. But, you know, again, we're, we're so assaulted by our American culture that so disrespects anything that's of age or tried and true. Uh, you know, if, if you're past 40 in this culture, you don't even know anything anymore. You're just, you know, why, why would I even listen to him? Um, so yeah. you know, we fight that even in the church. We've, we've bought into so many cultural ideas. And I, I think sometimes we don't even know, look, that's not a Christian idea. That's an American idea. <laughs> You'll throw yeah. that out. Yeah. I think the only thing that encourages me on that, that ageism thing is there is a remnant. I don't, that's not my favorite word, but it's, there is a remnant of young. I relate more to young men, I guess I'd say, you know, as far as people that ask me questions about ministry and stuff, there seems to be this hungry generation that, that are saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not getting this from my pastor who gives me Ted talks. Right. Uh, is there somebody out there? And so it's it's a small amount, but I'm I'm finding it, and I, yeah. you know, I think you minister to them as well. That that you have this sense of uh, he ha he has something to say, you know. And I, I I think if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, some of the, the early church historians say that John, uh, who wrote you know the book of John and Revelation, was was maybe 90 years old when he was on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he he'd gotten he was a pastor in uh, Ephesus, and then uh, Domitian, the emperor, he went and bowed before him, so he boiled him in oil. 
That's how the history goes of his life. They sent him to Patmos in exile, and he was 90 at the time. So, you know, he had been through a lot of suffering and persecution. And yet at 90, he's still saying there's more because right. the story in John uh, Revelation 1, he's saying, you know, I was on the Patmos and I was on the Lord's Day and I was in the spirit, you know, which is, okay, cool. He's he's 90, but he's he's still in the spirit. He's still digging. He's, he's, uh, he's happy that it's the Lord's Day. He's celebrating. Maybe he's alone, but he's still having church. Uh, but then he says, and I heard, you know, I heard something, I heard this voice and I turned and I, and I, and I saw the Lord, you know, yeah. so it's like, even at 90, there's like, there's more, yeah. uh, you know, there's now, and I, you know, we talked about my dad earlier and that's one thing I highly respect about him. You know, he'd be mid seventies, late seventies, he died when he was 78. Uh, but at 78, he was, you know, every time I come over to mom and dad's house, she'd be in the kitchen cooking dinner and she'd say, he'll be out in a minute. Yeah. And, about a half hour, 45 minutes later, he'd come out and like, and it'd be basically just telling us like, yeah, I read this and I studied that. And yep. here's, here's what John Owen said. And here's what, you know, William Flavel said and all these old guys that he was reading and stuff. So yeah, I'm excited that, you know, I, I think the, the best is yet to come and we, we've got some, some good things to learn and then therefore good things to say to some people who need to hear it. You know? Well, and even in, in God's economy, you know, as we age, because of the reality of a sinful world, the fact that we dwell in a corruptible body, which by definition, able to be corrupted, there often is a diminishment. But then scripture tells us clearly that even in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Mm-hmm. And I always say, never underestimate the power of weakness. You know, the more, in fact, I think it's one of the natural spiritual progressions of life is that we must not trust in the arm of flesh. Toward the end, we literally are forced to diminish, we're forced to not count on the flesh so that the spirit increases. You know, I preach some funeral services occasionally, and I always point that out, that uh, proportionate to the diminishment of the physical is the uh, acceleration of the spiritual. You know, you're growing spiritually, never underestimate, even a person that has some diminished capacities, who knows what's going on in their spirit? Who knows what prayers they're praying who knows the power of uh, the spirit within them that still continues to work? Uh, we, we look at the outside. We, we see the shell. We see the vehicle. We see the tent as described in scripture. Um, but, you know, the weaker we get, the stronger he gets, if I'm, if I'm interpreting that properly. <laughs> no, that's so true. I mean, that's, you see that certainly in the New Testament, without doubt. But in the Old Testament, that's like almost every story. You know, Gideon, get rid of your man. Uh, you know, right. just, uh, just, you know, I was looking at the the uh, the plagues of Egypt, and it's like, you know, and one of the things I was, as I was writing some notes, I, the topic of this study was uh, God delights in using small things to do great things. And like in the plagues, all of the, it's like he didn't use elephants, he used gnats, you know, or flies or frogs. Uh, yeah. you know, it was all little things that he brought together in mass to do that, which spoke to me of, of you know, like you're saying, the weak and the small and the, what seems incon- inconsequential to the world's eyes, yeah. God, God uses mightily. Well, uh, just so that we don't make ourselves out liars, we did tell, tell people that <laughs> today that we were going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And in some senses, we really actually have been all along. Uh, nothing that we've said today is possible without the Holy Spirit's, the endowment of power from on high to be able to, to, to say that we're growing it's not of ourselves, it's of, it's of the work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.